Welcome to the East Main Media Podcast, a series of conversations featuring leaders in a variety of subjects, including business, politics, media, and the arts. For more information, visit eastmainmedia.com forward slash podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by JLC Accounting, bookkeeping, accounting, tax preparation, and advisory. Visit jlc-accounting.com. And by Tap Into TV, original video programming covering topics of interest in New Jersey, New York, and beyond. Visit tapintotv.net. Now here's your host, Brian Brodor. I'm joined today by Stephanie Willoughby from littlelovestories.com. And we have a special guest along with Stephanie in the podcast suite today our operations manager and senior producer at East Main Media, Kayla Galka. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Hello. So I'm going to start right out the gate, Stephanie, with a question that I usually end with, which is this. There's a phone in front of you and it rings and you pick it up and you have a conversation, you hang up. The person you just talked to answered or solved your biggest question, challenge, problem in the world, right? What did they solve and who was that? Wow, we are going to start dramatic then. Right out the gate. (laughs) I love it. The biggest question or the thing that I give the most thought to is what happens at the end of this life? Like, where do we go? And I'm not 100% certain who would be on the other end of the phone, But I think that that would probably be my husband, actually, which is kind of weird to say, because then I think that that would mean he'd have have to have been calling from the next realm, so to speak. Or have some supernatural level of... Some type of gift that would let me know that he knew. But that would be my biggest question, yeah. Well, we're going to obviously start this conversation at a very high level then. Yeah. But thank you for that. (laughs) Let's start right out. I'd like to start the conversation of... To me, this is a very poignant and important part of us three being here, which is that you are essentially responsible for East Main Media having met and then hired Kayla. And I want to express to you our thanks because her arrival to my company, to our team, was a huge game changer, you know, and she's become a cornerstone of not just the team and the function of the team, not just that, but the growth and the success. And I'll put it this way. I don't want to just ramble on, right? She's staring at me. Um, (laughs) But it dawned on me at one point that East Main, which is a division of ACM, my company, that we achieved things sort of beyond what I could envision. We really achieved things that like, wow, we got there. And I very much blame her (laughs) for for that, you know. Um, So I wanted to sort of publicly acknowledge that, that it's all your fault that we've got her into all this trouble working here at East Main. So thanks. I love that. I want to throw the ball to you and which Kayla will follow up. Tell us a little bit of your story. I want to hear about littlelovestories.com and how you got to that place, maybe some NYU. So please, the microphone is yours. Okay. Um, Well, I love that. And I feel like I feel the way you just described when Kayla came into your 
life and into this company. I feel like that very often with the things that I've chosen to do. And I appreciate you saying that because I think that people don't often acknowledge how sort of poignant it is when you get to a place that you may have in the back of your mind sort of envisioned, but didn't know how you were going to get there. Like everybody's road is a little bit different, Mm -hmm. so to speak. So for me, I originally come from the Midwest. I am a child of Illinois, the suburbs of Illinois. Oh, yeah. Chicago, I assume? Yeah, Chicago, outside of Chicago, about 30 minutes outside of Chicago. I grew up in the suburbs and attended like all Catholic school for forever and was really unsatisfied with living in the Midwest. Mm. I knew from a really young age that I wanted to be in New York. In fact, I remember sitting at my childhood pediatrics appointment. I was in eighth grade and my pediatrician had mentioned to my mom that his son had just been accepted into NYU. And I was like, what's this now? <laughs> you can go to school <laughs> in New York and it's not this just mystical NYU thing. What, what is, is this, this? place? Um, and not just in New York State, but in New York City. And that's really was my main goal, like just get to New York. And I remember my mom being like, you don't need to worry about it because you're never going there. Like, there's no way I'm sending my child to New York. And that just stuck in my head. And so when I turned 17 and I finished high school, I did apply to NYU and a few others, Fordham and University of Miami, et cetera, et cetera, and ended up getting into NYU, into the Tisch program for film and television. And That was sort of the beginning of my journey into Little Love Stories and beyond. And while I was there, I was studying film and television and I was minoring in photography. It's just always like a very visual person. But I remember really wanting to just tell stories, but I wasn't a journalist. I wasn't the kind of person that could be in like a war-torn country. I'm really emotional. I didn't think that like news media was something that I could handle. And I still don't. I think even if I was on air or kind of trying to deliver the news, it would have just been an emotional, I would have been a mess. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I think it was good that I stuck to television and to photography. But anyway, so I was at NYU, finished NYU and started working in film and TV with a company uh, in the city called Radical television. So I was working with them. They were really famous at that time for commercials, and they had started venturing into more film. They were doing a film by the title uh, Fade to Black about Jay-Z and his story, because at that time he was going to retire Mm. from rap. And I remember being brought on to that project as an AP, and I loved every second of it because I was a huge Jay-Z fan. And I think I might have been one of the only people on that production crew that knew every song. Like a lot of them were like, oh, this is great. And I was like, you have no idea how big this is. Wow. <laughs> so that was my first like legit job in the film and television world. And I really enjoyed it. And then after Radical, I moved around into the freelance world. And I was just all over the place at TLC and MTV and VH1 and BET and just kind of honing my skills in that way. And how does that lead to little love stories? Get me there. Okay, so eventually I met my husband and we accidentally got pregnant with my oldest daughter. And that was a whirlwind. Well, she's a lovely accident, but an accident nonetheless. (laughs) Um, But she was 
a surprise, a really good surprise, but a yeah. surprise. And I was working for uh, freelancing for the DIY network on a show called 10 Grand in Your Hand. Oh, wow. And I had Grayson and I went back to work and it was fine, but I was always a post-production supervisor. So my hours were awful. And I was the last set of eyes on anything that was going out the door. So that meant I wasn't home until very, very late. Didn't have to go until late, but I was home really, really mm-hmm. late. And so we got to the point where we had a nanny for the baby and I wasn't really seeing her Monday through Friday. And of course, when you're in post-production world, I'm the last set of eyes, right? Yeah. I'm, end I'm of the chain. It's a lot, right? I'm the end of the chain, end of the line. So I just decided when that show wrapped that I was going to start working for myself, building video projects, editing. Um, I was a Final Cut editor. I had Final Cut. I had a little suite in our apartment. So when she would nap, I would work. Mm. And then time went on, and I got pregnant with my second child. And at that point, we decided we were going to leave the city. I was fully working on my own editing every day, different projects. And when we moved into the suburbs, I needed someone to watch my son while I was working. And that's where we met Kayla. All right. So my little girl would be at preschool and Kayla would come in a couple days a week and she would watch Jude until he would nap. Mm -hmm. And I would be upstairs on our third floor working and Kayla would be watching Jude for me. And We would be talking about TV because at the time she was still in school. (laughs) And I believe at that point she was looking for internships. And we had started talking about that, which is when East Main came into the picture and you guys came into the picture. And so life kept going. Things were getting busier. We were thinking about having another child. And I loved video editing and I loved editing documentaries. And at that point, I was editing people's life stories together, kind of making a montage sequence, if you will, of all their like cell phone videos and even Super 8s and every type of footage you can imagine. High 8 tapes were a thing once upon a time. Mm -hmm. So I was taking VHS and all these other mediums and formatting them into digital and then editing them, putting them to music, telling people stories, essentially making individual documentaries of each family. And that was amazing and really fun, but extremely time consuming. So at some point, I had a friend ask me if I would take their family photo for them, because at the time, Little Love Stories existed, but only as a as a medium for these family documentaries that I was building. And I had a blog and on the blog, I would post photos of our life and my children, Mm. but I would not have said I was a photographer. Like I wouldn't have thought that I could do that for other people. I thought, well, my kids listen to me because they're my kids. So my friend Nicole and Ralph were like, could you just meet us in Montclair at Edgemont Park and just take some quick photos for us? It's beautiful there. Yeah, it's gorgeous. And I remember just thinking like, well, I can do this, but I, you know, I don't know what this is going to look like. And they're like, no, 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 we've got faith. You can do it. I'm like, okay. So I remember running to Best Buy and purchasing. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, Because I was like, well, I'm not going to just show up with my DSLR and like this kit lens. Like I got to do better. I like Nicole and Ralph and I wanted them to be happy with the photos. So I go and get a 50 millimeter lens and it was like a hundred dollars. And I remember being at Best Buy and talking to the guy behind the counter. I was like, well, will this deliver like nice photos? He's like, I have no idea. I mean, (laughs) shouldn't you know that? And I was like, well, we'll see. So did a little quick research, went on Pinterest, looked at a bunch of different 
you know, how to propose a family of four and came with a cheat sheet and meet them at the park. And I'm like, all right, everybody line up. And I've got the kids, you know, on a blanket because I'm thinking, well, that looked pretty on Pinterest. So let's try that. (laughs) And then I've got Nicole and Ralph with them and they were just very posed, very kid like it was fine. They needed a holiday card. I believe we achieved that. (laughs) And I went home and I looked at my husband and I'm like, I'm going to do this now. And he's like, really? I was like, yep, it was quick. I edited those photos in an hour. And at the time it wasn't on like Lightroom or Photoshop. This was some app that I found on the app store. And Nicole was really happy with the photos. I'm sure if I looked at them now, I would be mortified, but she was very sweet. They used it for their holiday card. And I was just blown away at the fact that it was fun. And I could pick up where I had kind of left off from college. And this was going to be what I was going to do now. And it seemed like, honestly, at that point, it was less about like the emotional connection to it and more about like, I can make money quicker. (laughs) So this is what I'm now doing. And I just kind of by word of mouth, and Nicole and Ralph must have told other friends in our circle, I started practicing. I would ask friends, can I photograph your kids? Can we try this? Could you meet me in the park? And that was like my first fall session. And then that really birthed Little Love Stories as a photography studio. And it sounds really silly, but it's kind of like the way anything begins. You just have to try it. And I tried it and I quickly got addicted to it. And (laughs) I still have that little lens. Well, actually, truth be told, I don't have that lens. I took my original camera and the lenses that I bought for it. And I actually gave them to a friend's sister in Rhode Island that's thinking about becoming a photographer who otherwise would not have been able to afford them. And I just thought, if you love this, like, I don't care if you do it professionally or not, just try. But, you know, don't waste money on something that I've already gotten. Don't use anymore. Pay Um, forward, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, And actually, sometimes she comes down and assists me. And it's just like the most beautiful thing. I have a very important question. And I want Kayla to jump in. Did you buy the two-year protection plan? I did not. <laughs> okay. I did not. But I've luckily not dropped any of the lenses okay, so good. far. I yeah. just wanted to get that out of the way. Yeah. I've had those experiences. When I go to Micro Center and get us equipment, and then I'm texting Brian, do we need the two-year protection? And he's like, we have insurance. We don't All need caps. it. No. Exactly. Please do not pay for yes. this. Yes. <laughs> we'll be right back to the conversation after this brief message from our sponsor. Today's podcast is brought to you by JLC Accounting, bookkeeping, accounting, tax preparation, and advisory. For more information, visit jlc-accounting.com. And by Tap Into TV, original video programming covering topics of interest in New Jersey, New York, and beyond. Visit tapintotv.net. Now, when, because I started following you I don't know, a couple of years ago, Mm -hmm. your photography for Little Love Stories. And that's when I started just like reading your posts with those photos. Mm -hmm. So when did that start coming into play, like your storytelling with these families? That's a really great question. I, you know, it's interesting. I feel like I do spend a lot of time trying to understand how we all relate to each other. So In my mind, I think of it as like a thin red string, right, that connects you to me and me to Brian and 
so on and so forth until the whole wide world is connected in this one string. So when I started investing in the families that I was working in, I started getting really involved in their stories. And at some point, instead of just doing the family photography, I started doing maternity and newborn photography. And that was by design because I really love, I love all children and I love babies. But for me as a mother, the newborn phase was my favorite, but it's also the quickest. And so when I started working with pregnant women and then seeing these babies on the other side or earth side, as I often say, it's more than just me coming in and taking photos with the family. I start to get to know the family. And in some cases, I've been with my families since they were getting married because I shot their wedding, right? So I know their story. And then I know all the other stories of all the other families that I work with. And they're all very relatable. Because even if it's not the same story, and it never, ever is, the concept is the same. It all boils down to love. And it all boils down to how we give and receive love. And I wanted to start telling the stories in the photographs. Because with video, you can do that rather easily. It's easy to see because you're hearing it. You're hearing the words, I love you, mommy, or a husband to his wife or to his husband. And it's easy to see because you're hearing it and you're seeing it. And in photography, it's a frame, right? So you're only getting a snapshot of what's there. But my theory is if you get the right snapshot, you can actually capture love so that people are seeing it and it's visceral. They can feel it. So I started marrying these family stories with their photos because I felt like I feel it when I'm with them. And then if I tell you a little bit about these people, that connects us all with that red line. And the response to that has been really good. But again, I'm a super emotional, sappy person anyway. So I really don't write any of the captions that come with my photos as a way to like get more followers or for people to, I don't know, have any opinion of me. It's really more just like, isn't this neat? Like, here are these people and this gave you a feeling when you saw this photograph because it's relating to the person looking at the photograph but then when you read their story you're more connected to them as well and you can't deny caring about someone that you think you know and I just kind of over the last couple of years I think the political climate in the country has been so divided and everyone's so angry with just cause in many ways but People aren't communicating with one another. And I think everybody, regardless of what side of the aisle you're on, we have to find a way to respect and love one another. But I think some of it is just if you feel like you don't know them, then it doesn't seem like you can hurt them. But the minute you know someone or you know something really deep about that person, you care about them and then you wouldn't want to hurt them. So it really does come from a place of me just wanting to make people feel something that they don't always feel. Because if my photograph showed up on the same timeline as a bunch of other garbage that you're sick of hearing about or listening to or the news cycle being really depressing and there's hurricanes and famine and a zillion other really awful things going on, I'm not trying to ignore those things. I'm just going to be that positive light that somebody sees because that's what I want to put into the universe and that's what I hope somebody would want to share with me. 
So that's why I started writing about the people that I was working with, because it had to be more than just their photograph. It had to be about connecting each of us to one another. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you do a great job. Oh, thank you. (laughs) That's very sweet. I try. I'm a little flowery, I think, with my words sometimes, but I do really read it back like seven times, and I'm like, (laughs) okay, good. Now we'll send this out. Yeah. I have a couple follow-ups I'd like to do on that. Yeah, of course. I want to ask you about this idea of you're capturing these moments. Let's stay with the photography piece, right? Okay. Capturing these moments of, say, families or people. Let's broaden that out, you know, generically. You're capturing moments and the viewer is experiencing your particular expression. It's that moment through your lens, your eye, and now you're pairing writing with it. Right. Which Mm -hmm. makes it more visceral. I'm going to paraphrase Mm -hmm. what you said. It it makes it more emotional. Yes. And it allows it to resonate more with people. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me your thoughts on when people resonate or they understand more about what they're seeing through that lens? Does it make them care more? Because certainly in our divided world, politically, culturally, I'm a cynic. I'm not sure that it does. I can think of a dozen examples of, yeah, people might see a photo. I just want your thoughts on this. Do they need to resonate with it? If they don't care, do they not resonate with it? You know, what do you think about that? I feel that if you are the type of person who is open to it, then it will resonate with you. And if you aren't, or if you are more of a cynic, then you may need more than just a photo and words to feel like you care about someone else or that you somehow have something in common with them. Right. Commonality. Commonality. Right. So I feel like as a family photographer, first and foremost, it's my job to capture your now. And I have so many clients who will come in and they will say, I just really want a holiday card. I I need all the kids looking at the camera and smiling. And that's that. And my feeling is like, well, that's not what I do. I don't Mm. sit people down and pose them and make them smile at me. I never tell kids, say cheese or smile. I never use those words. We do a lot of games and a lot of different other things that I try to get the emotion out of the family. But I feel like that would be a waste of everybody's time and money. So when I'm shooting, I'm thinking about the energy that's coming from that family. And I'm thinking about their personalities. Now, obviously, that's easier if I've shot with them multiple times. I know them, they know me, the kids are really comfortable, et cetera, et cetera. But in general, I start with this idea that this family has this energy, and I want to pick up on that, and I want to photograph it. And if other people are moved by that, then I feel like that is my goal, but I'm certain that not every person that looks is necessarily moved by it. But I would say most are, but I also think that that's because the people that are looking at my photography and following me on Instagram, Facebook, et cetera, et cetera, are also mothers. And I think as a mother, and I don't know, this may extend to just all people, females, fathers, whatever. I have no idea. I can only speak for myself. I think that something happens, whether it's a photo of your child or not, 
you instantly can remember your child at that same age. So a lot of times when I'm writing the writing that's going to go with the caption, it may not be specific about that family. Like I'm not using their names and I'm not saying, well, this child went through cancer recently. Like I don't do that. That's not my place. But what I will say is I remember the feeling of my baby's chubby legs around my hip and the way that her foot would just always be planted right at my thigh. And I would grab her foot when we were in line at the grocery store, if I was nervous, or if I was talking to a neighbor that I was just meeting any situation that like became an anxiety blanket. And people sort of get that. And I think when they get that, they think of their own self. And so that's when it resonates with them. But certainly not everyone has that same feeling. No, it never would be everyone. No, it would never be everyone. But I like to try to change minds when I can, you know, and I like to try. It wouldn't stop me from telling the story or trying to make the connection. But for me, that's the goal of my photography. When you take a picture, and of course, as a photographer, you're probably snapping multiple pictures, right? Mm -hmm. But when you get that moment and you snap your shutter, how often do you know, I got it, that boom, it's there? I know it in every session. Got it. Mm-hmm. It's tricky doing a podcast because we're not videotaping. This is right. just an audio podcast. But speaking to visual artists, mm-hmm. we're only talking about it, right? So right. I, you can't show me something and say, see this? <laughs> so again, this comes back to our listeners, the listeners to this podcast. They will have to resonate with your descriptions and know, oh, that picture is is showing me that moment. Mm-hmm. So that's what that question's about. So every time, so you know you've got it in the can. Okay, follow-up. If you're snapping shots and you go, oh, wow, I got it. That's wonderful. I know this is beautiful moment right there. Okay, I'm kind of missing it here. It's just mm-hmm. not feeling right. And then you get back to your mm-hmm. studio and say, oh, look, I did get that. Or mm-hmm. oh, there's something interesting there. How much are you surprised sometimes? So I know exactly when I've got it. Mm-hmm. I know exactly which one is going to be the one that I present their gallery to them with. And that's somewhat a little bit manipulated because I want them to love that photo as much as I love that photo. So that's what we open with. And nine times out of 10, they do choose that as one of their finals. So I know when I've got it. I also know when there's nothing really there to capture. That does not stop people from constantly going, oh, look, he's smiling. Oh, look, she's going to blow that bubble. I'm like, oh, I know. Meaning wanting <laughs> They the want moment. more. Yeah. yeah, sure. They'll see me standing with my camera but not snapping. And I think that that creates a little bit of like, I don't want to say distrust, but there's this feeling like because they're their children. So they think everything that they do is adorable and cute. And true enough, everything they do do is adorable and cute. But you also know when you've taken 50 photos of the same thing. So sometimes they'll be like, I know she's adorable. And then I'll walk away. Because I want to get these photos that aren't just posed. I want those candid moments. And to answer your question, there are, I would say, in almost every single session, probably about 85% of them, I am surprised when I get back into the studio. I upload those photos. There will be something that I didn't feel it when I shot it. Mm. And then when I look at it in the edit, I'll be like, well, let me take a closer look at this and it'll be magic. You know, and that's a really good feeling. I sometimes have to trust. I'm a natural light photographer, so I have to trust my instincts when it comes to my settings, you know, what my aperture sure. was and what speed I'm shooting at. So sometimes you can think like, well, that was probably too dark or maybe I underexposed it way too much or maybe that was way too overexposed. But sometimes that can give you a really beautiful 
you know, shot. And I'm shooting so quickly. There's so much going on in those family sessions. I've got parents throwing leaves on kids that are laying down on blankets and I'm shooting and I can't see a thing. I'm just shooting. So sometimes those are usually my favorites because I don't know what's in focus and what isn't. So when I get back and, you know, most of the leaves are out of focus except for a couple and then those kids' faces are full on focus, like that's what's addictive about it, you know, that's the I mean, hundreds of photos we're talking, right? Hundreds. I mean, with every session, I must shoot a full-framed, full-sized family session. I'm with them about an hour. Some of that is walking around and, you know, taking in the environment, letting the kids run around and play. So I shoot probably four to 500 photos in that hour. And then I whittle all of that down to usually, I actually deliver pretty big galleries, but like 80 to 100 photos because a lot of them are repeat shots and some don't work for one reason or another. But yeah, I, I want them to be like in love with every photo and I want them to be able to calm the noise of their family life mm. and see what they've created and take it in. How easy is it for you to discard photos? You know, do you agonize over it or is it nope, nope, goodbye, goodbye, goodbye? When I'm first calling a gallery, I don't agonize over it at all. I have no emotional attachment to them initially because they're not edited and they're all, I shoot in raw format. So you're going to have some that are just, you know, duds and that's fine. So I go through, I'm like, no, 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 or this is a repeat. It is really, really, really hard for me, though, once I whittle them down to about 150, that's when I have to take a break sometimes and walk away because there will be like a teeny tiny little difference and I can see it. And then I have to remind myself, okay, they can't see this. They're never going to be able to choose. They're just going to choose whichever one pops up first. And that's how I try to learn to discard it. I'll just I keep going back and forth. And then I'll just go, okay, this one. And then I try to get rid of the other. But I certainly, I know that I deliver repeat shots in a gallery. I probably will give five of the same sort of like setup because I do fall in love with the work that we've done together and that family. And I, you know, especially when you're shooting multiple people, there's an expression one made here, but that they didn't make in the other frame. And so you want to give them the option. It's an interesting concept that as an artist, visual artist, that and I'm going to use the word we because I'm looking at Kayla in our post-production operations here in video, that we will agonize over those little things. Mm. And then at some point we'll come back and realize, you know, the client's not going to care about that, right. that thing. We might have conversations, Kayla, here about, oh, that video crossfade is 10 frames. Oh, it should be 12. What do you mean it should be 12? No, it should be yeah. 10. <laughs> and, you know, at the end of the day, no one's really going to care. Yeah. You know, that's an interesting concept, yeah. you know, that you get to that place and you've got to work really hard and then release it. It's, go it's it. true. You do. You have to let it go. And you also have to realize like there's only so many things people can frame and put in their house, right? <laughs> You're not going to. Well, so, that's a challenge. It is a challenge, right. I mean, my house is like, it's like a museum of my children. <laughs> they basically have shrines in every room. But I think that in a traditional home where you may have photos just going up the stairs or, you know, in someone's office, they don't need 80 photos of their family, but they do need the ones that matter, the ones that make them feel something. So many people will come and they'll be like, can I have every digital? I've had people ask me for the raw files. I'm like, believe me, you do not want the raw <laughs> files, like, unless you are an editor yourself. But I think people just want to feel like they got all of something, you know, and, and if this is good, then more must be better. I think that that's generally the concept for most people. But I'm always like, no, I think that we enjoyed this moment and this was really special and this was really beautiful. And I'll see you next year. Yes. And we're <laughs> off. That's it. And we're done with that. 
Thank you for listening. Join us next week for part two of the conversation. Today's podcast is brought to you by JLC Accounting, bookkeeping, accounting, tax preparation, and advisory. For more information, visit jlc-accounting.com and by Tap Into TV, original video programming covering topics of interest in New Jersey, New York, and beyond. Visit tapintotv.net. This has been a production of East Main Media, hosted by Brian Brodeur. Special thanks to associate producer Morgan Taylor, audio engineer J.P. Conk, senior producer Kayla Galka. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to subscribe and leave us a good rating. For more information, visit eastmainmedia.com. And thank you for listening.